Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. And we're so grateful that you guys are here, whether you're joining us in person or maybe you're joining us online. We're grateful to have you. And our hope and prayer is that this become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I want to let you know about a couple things that are happening. Uh, they all center around Christmas. Uh, tonight we have our very first Christmas event, uh, and it is called Jingle Jam. Uh, if you've got kids, you will want to make sure that you are there. Uh, it is one of the funnest things that we do as a church. Uh, if you don't have kids, but you like to laugh, then come anyways, because uh, it is so much fun. Uh, that's happening tonight, 5 p.m. right here. So don't miss it. Don't be late. I would encourage you to come early. There's going to be a lot of people. Um, and so make sure you get your seats and all that good stuff. Uh, we play games and uh, have a lot of laughs. And then uh, we tell uh, a version of the Christmas story that everybody in the family uh, can understand and, uh, and hopefully receive. And then I want to let you know that in two weeks is actually Christmas Eve. We have five services, one happening a few days before that, in case you're going out of town. Uh, and then we have four Christmas services happening on Christmas Eve. It is a Sunday. So we have two in the morning, like our normal service times, and then two in the evening. They're identical, okay? So if you come at like this service time on Christmas Eve and you come back at, you know, four or whatever, uh, it better be a really good message uh, to want to hear twice. Uh, so, uh, and then all our kids' ministry is the exact same. It's up through five. So if you come to this service and you expect like your eight-year-old to go into kids' ministry, won't be there. Uh, they'll be in service with you. Uh, so our services are identical. Uh, choose one that's best for you. Grab some tickets. They're free. They just help us know how many people to expect. Um, and then if we need to add services or anything like that. And here's my encouragement. Uh, people are more open to an invitation to church. They're more open right now than any other time throughout the year. And, and I would say that's even more true being this year uh, with, you know, some of the struggles that are going on in our society, some of the things we're watching, um, the war in Israel, things like that. People, there's a lot of people just longing for hope, longing for something more. Uh, and so I would encourage you to just be thinking about, think about somebody right now. Somebody right now in your life, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody that if they had Christ, they would have more peace. Maybe they need hope. And that you know Christ would be able to transform them for eternity. Think about that person. You have that person in mind? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I just pray for those individuals right now that we're thinking through. I pray, Father, that you would put it on our hearts to share with them, to invite them, to so put up a yard sign, to give out a keychain, to give out an invite card, to post on social media, whatever it may be, Father, to walk across the street and invite somebody. I pray, Father, that invitation would lead to a transformation in their life. I pray, Father, you would put people in our hearts this Christmas. And, Father, this Christmas wouldn't just be about us and what you've done for us, but it would be about what you've done for the entire world. And, Father, we would be your conduit to draw people to yourself. Father, use us this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, for any information about Christmas, just go to christmasincastlerock.com. You can get all your information there. Uh, okay, last week I asked how many, people, how many of you love gifts. Every, pretty much everybody raised their hand, so I got enough gift to give out. Uh, we're not, it, next week you're going to be like, oh, let's check underneath our chairs because uh, you already forgot about last week. So check underneath your chair. There's a piece of paper there. If you have that piece of paper, then I need you to, 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 to throw it up in the air. Somebody, it's somebody in this section and somebody in this section, right over here, check under your, your chair. You got, yes, come on up here. Yes, here's a little gift bag for you. There's a $50 gift card in there, some other things. So you can go ice skating or look at lights or whatever you want to do. So yeah, man, 
Uh, we all love giving gifts, and we have, we're in a series right now called The Gifts. So you've got to give out a gift if you're in a series like that. Uh, we, uh, we, we looked around, and we saw another church that had done this series called Life Church, and, and we just thought, man, what a fascinating idea to talk about the three gifts that were given to Jesus uh, soon after his birth. And so we're just going to jump straight in. Uh, we looked at Matthew chapter 2 last week. Jesus was born, and then the Magi uh, came to visit him and give him these gifts. And who are these Magi, or wise men, as we typically call them? Uh, they were astrologers or magicians from Persia. They were priests to the Persian kings. These were not believers in God. They were not uh, 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 Israelites. They were not followers of God or anything like that. And God drew what they worshipped. They worshipped the stars. God drew what they worshipped to, to get them to himself. When they show up at Jesus' house, uh, they, uh, they give out these gifts. And that's the foundational verse for this series is Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And here's what it says. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these wise men, they show up, they've got these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now these are very unusual gifts that you would give to somebody who just had a child, right? Like if you've, if you've had a baby before, what gifts were you given when that child was born? Diapers, yep. Clothes, yep. Uh, for us, uh, one of the gifts that we were given when my son was born was a PPTP. You know, the little thing that goes over and supposed to like make sure it didn't work very well. So, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but like gold, frankincense, and myrrh, like what kind of gifts are these? Uh, all three of these gifts, as we'll, we looked at last week, gold. Next week, we'll look at myrrh. Uh, this week, we're looking at frankincense. All three of these had a very practical application, but they also were foretelling. They had a spiritual application as well. So we, before we talk about the spiritual application of frankincense, let's talk about what frankincense is and uh, the practical application of it. Now, for those of you who are in the, um, how can I say this, the, uh, the cult of essential oils, uh, then, then you know, they, yeah, there's some of y'all I know, uh, then you know that frankincense is like the Swiss army knife of essential oils, right? It's like used for everything. Now, I'm not an essential oils guy, uh, not because I don't believe in it, but because uh, I had firsthand experience with it. It, it didn't go so well. Uh, a few years back, I had a, a shoulder surgery, a third one. They were detaching my bicep muscle from where it normally is and putting it under, uh, up under here. That's why I don't have any muscles, you know, that's why. Um, and, uh, and they left an open wound so it would heal itself. Well, my wife, the, the, the essential oils cult member in my life, uh, she was like, hey, let's put an oil on that. And so we put one on there, and unfortunately, it was a hot oil, uh, which meant that it got down in there and it just started burning and I could do nothing about it. So I believe in essential oils so much that I stay away from them completely, <laughs> completely. Now, what does frankincense do? Frankincense has been used for thousands of years uh, in Middle Eastern and Eastern cultures. Uh, and it's said to help with a ton of different ailments. It's said to help with inflammation diseases, pain relief, swelling, uh, and improves asthma. Basically, the practical gift that they were giving Jesus was a very expensive first aid kit. I mean, this was, this was the type of, of situation where they would use frankincense for pretty much everything, and it worked on almost everything, but most people couldn't afford it. So when the wise men brought them this, they were saying, hey, at some point, you're going to need this. Jesus is going to skin his knee or something, and he's not going to, like, heal it himself, and so you'll need whatever. Like, you're going to need this practical gift, but there was also a spiritual component to this gift. It was foretelling. Now, what was frankincense used for spiritually? It was used by priests 
Every time they would go and, and, and do a sacrifice, and you can look at this uh, in Exodus 30, Leviticus 2, Leviticus 5, Leviticus 24, you can find every time that they would go and, and do sacrifices for the people, uh, that they would light frankincense, and that frankincense, it would create this smoke that would rise up to heaven, and it was symbolizing the prayers of the people to God. What this this sign of, of this frankincense, of this, this gift was doing, it was saying, hey, you're going to have the practical use for this. But the spiritual use, this foretelling, last week the gold said Jesus is our king. This week it's saying Jesus is our high priest. It's representing Jesus as high priest. Now, for me, early on in my, in my Christian faith, uh, if I would have been sitting in church and someone would have said Jesus is my high priest, I would have been like, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because the, 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 the terminology of priest isn't used all that often. Now, if you're like my wife and you grew up Catholic or maybe some strands of Lutheranism, uh, then maybe you get the idea of a priest. But most of us, we don't know. We, we associate priests with me. Uh, but the priests had a very specific function. In fact, they did two things uh, in the Old Testament. And, and still to this day, priests in Judaism um, uh, do two things. Number one, they, they, they do sacrifices. They sacrifice animals for the sin of the people. So they sacrifice to God for the sin of people. And the second thing they do is they pray on behalf of the people to God. So they do these two things, sacrifices and prayers. Sacrifices and prayers. This is what they did every day. So how does this relate to Jesus? How does it relate to him being our high priest? Well, to understand the sacrifices, you have to first understand sin. Like to understand why they would do sacrifices, you have to first understand sin. And in the very beginning of time, we had these two opposing forces. And it's those two forces are still opposing to this day. You have the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Two opposing forces, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Now, in our culture, we like to minimize sin. We say, well, it's not sin. It was, just, it was just a mistake. Or who are you to tell me that what I'm doing is a sin? You're not my judge. Or we say something like, man, what I'm doing is right for me. It's my truth. Or we might say, well, that's an outdated concept. Like, no one really believes in that anymore. But when you get down to what sin really is, all of us believe it's real. Right? Because you've done something in your life where you have felt guilty. You felt like it was, it was wrong. Right? Or, or if we see a toddler and that toddler is like, that's mine, mine, mine. You're not like, wow, what a go-getter, you know? <laughs> you're going to be a great entrepreneur one day. You know? No, you're like, man, that's a selfish kid. Right? Like we think these things. Or, or some of you, you have an elf on the shelf in your house. And what is the purpose of that elf on the shelf? At night, he flies back to Santa or she flies back to Santa to tell Santa all the good things and the bad things that you're doing. Why? Because Santa is making a list. He's checking it twice and he's going to find out what? Who's? So we get the concept of sin. Like we know it's real, even if we want to try to minimize it or something like that, we understand that it's a real thing. But when we try to minimize sin, what we're doing is we're not truly understanding the holiness of God. Like I would say you and I, we, if we minimize the truth of sin in our lives or in our cultures, because we don't fully understand the holiness of of God. Maybe to say it this way, if we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we'll always take this casual approach to sin in our lives. Remember, there's two opposing forces, the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God. God is holy. Second Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 says, 
that there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. That word holy means to be set apart. It's perfect. There's no stain, no blemish. So it's saying, God, you are holy. You are perfect. You are set apart. There is no one like you, God. The problem is, is you and I are not holy. God is, and we are not. We're not perfect. We don't measure up to God's perfect standard. We are not holy. We understand that, but when we think about people, we think about ourselves, we got to really understand that you're not holy, that your cute niece is not holy, that your really, really good friend is not holy, that the one that you've fallen in love with is not holy. If you have a dog like mine, you know even your dog is not holy, right? Like all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. What is God's standard? It's perfection. None of us can measure up to God's perfect standard. And that's why God hates sin so much. Because sin opposes, it's the exact opposite of who God is. And he knows the dramatic effects it has, it has in our life. Sin destroys all that is good. Sin destroys relationships. It destroys us emotionally mentally, clearly destroys us spiritually. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages, for the results of sin is death. Sin is destructive. And God understands its destructive nature, which is why he hates sin so much. And because of our sinfulness, because God is holy, and because we are sinful, and because we take this casual approach to sin, like it's not that big of a deal, what it does, it disrupts our relationship with God. It disrupts our communion with God. If you've ever been like, man, I don't feel like God is real. I don't feel like we, I, I can hear from him or whatever. Sin plays that part. Sin does that in our lives. Our casualness to sin opposes the holiness of God in our lives. Now let's go back to the priest. I said one of the jobs of the priest was to make sacrifices on behalf of the people because of sin. They did this every day, but the biggest day of the year they would do this is called Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. So one day out of every year, the priests would get two goats, and they would kill one of the goats, and they would sprinkle the blood. They would take it into the Holy of Holies, and they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of God. And what this was doing is this was satisfying the justice of God. Why? Because sin has to be paid for by death, for the wages of sin is death. So the result of sin has to be death. So they would take this animal, they would kill it, they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat of God, and they would try to satisfy the justice of God. Then they would take that second goat, and they would, they would like kind of cast all the sins of the people onto the goat symbolically. They would be like, okay, this goat now has all the sins of the people, then they would release it into the wild, and that's where we get our term scapegoat from. They would let this goat go, and that was satisfying the mercy of God. So God is both just and he's merciful. He has to deal with sin, and he did that through the sacrifice. And once the sacrifice happens, then he gives mercy. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, man, what in the world? Like, all of this sounds really crazy. Let me just boil it down. God is holy. We are not. Because holiness cannot be impacted or, or, or in the presence of sin, we are separated from God. And so God said, hey, I need to make a way. The sacrifice was supposed to 
satisfy the justice of God, and that releasing of the goat was to satisfy the mercy of God. But thank God. Say thank God. Thank God we're not living in the Old Testament. There is a new and more complete way that God has made. If you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 10. It's one of a passage that, man, just really speaks of the truth of what God wants us to learn and what God wants us to, to remember in our own lives. It says this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So you don't have to keep sacrificing animals. Jesus died once and for all. Verse 11, day after day, the priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time, when this priest, Jesus, this high priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So under the old way, the priest every day would make sacrifices for the people to try to satisfy the justice of God. That old way still kept the gap between us and God because we still had sin. Jesus fills that gap and fills it completely. The beauty of Jesus' sacrifice for you and I is that it was complete. It completely satisfies God's justice and completely satisfies God's mercy. Like Jesus doesn't have to keep dying for us. Like we don't have to keep going back over and over and over and like putting Jesus back on a cross. He died once and for all to satisfy the justice and the mercy of God. Now, I know for some of us, it's still like, do this a lot. Like, you bring me back to like my Southern Baptist roots or something, you know? Like, this, uh, help me understand this. Let me break it down for you in a way that's easier for me to understand. You have sin, right? And sin is dark. And sin, for you and I, we would like to think that, like, man, we're pure. Like, we're born pure, we're born great, and all of that. But again, if you've ever met a to toddler, you know that's not true. No one teaches them to be selfish. We're born with sin. And it discolors us. It destroys us. It ruins us. The Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, that he took the sins upon himself. That he took the sins of the world. He took that on. He didn't have to. He was perfect. But he wanted to make a complete way of creating justice. And then when you and I accept Christ, not when we just believe, not when we just go to church, like not when we just say, man, I'm a good enough person, but when we truly accept what Christ has done for us, that he died on the cross for you and I, as Jesus comes into our life, he makes us pure. He makes us holy. He forgives us of our sins. And it's not just a forgiveness of sins. He makes us holy. This is what Jesus does for you and I. He forgives us. By him dying on the cross, by him being this great high priest, he forgives us. I remember going on my very first mission trip, and, um, man, I, I was so new to the faith. I had just accepted Christ a few months earlier. I was probably not the right person to be on a mission trip. Like, I had a lot of things going on. 
and, uh, and, and I wasn't really living my life for Jesus, but I knew, like, and I, I just discovered who Christ is. I knew he'd forgiven me, and I wanted to just go tell other people, but I didn't know how to tell other people. Like, for me, I just knew I was a messed up kid, and God saved me, and my life began to radically change, but I was still messed up, and I didn't know how to share it. And so they said, hey, we're going to teach you how to share your faith. And so we use this illustration. I think we have a picture of it. We use this illustration of, like, you, you and I, we were with God at one point, but our sin separates us from God. And now we're on these opposing cliffs and there's no way to get back to them. Like you can't do enough good things. You can't come to church 18 times a week and be good. You can't close that gap. The only thing that can close the gap is the cross. It's the only thing that closes the gap is the cross. The only way for you and I to be made right with God, to have this right communion with him. The thing that sin destroys the most is our relationship with God. The only way to get it back It's not by trying harder or doing better. It's through Jesus and through Jesus alone. Jesus is our great high priest. As a high priest, he didn't just sacrifice for us. He sacrificed himself for us, for once and for all, so that we would be made right and holy before God. Remember when I said the priests had two things. They they made sacrifices, but they also interceded for the people. One of the things I love that Jesus being our high priest gives us is he gives us access to God. Like we don't need a priest. We don't need a saint. We don't need a pastor to go into the presence of God. I've had people say, well, Ernest, you've you've got this like special connection with God. So can you do this for me? I'm like, I don't know if my connection is any better than yours. Like with Jesus being our high priest, we all have the same connection. I love this passage. We're going to close out with this. Hebrews Chapter 4, starting verse 14, says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. I love this passage because it says that God empathizes in every way with you and I. We don't have a a high priest. We don't have a God that is far off, that's just some cosmic being somewhere in the universe. We have a great high priest who knows what you're going through. Like he doesn't just see you. He knows the pain. He's experienced it. The hardships, the temptations, people leaving, all of it. He's experienced it all. He can empathize with you and I. Like if there's some of us in here that in this holiday season, just, you know, we coming up to Christmas, maybe we just feel anxious about something going on in our lives. Maybe there's some worry, something like that. And you take Jesus when he was in the garden, the night he was about to be portrayed, about to be betrayed and then, and then hung on a cross, He didn't even do anything wrong. He's about to be killed. And he knows this. He's God. He knows this is about to happen. What do we see? We see him in the garden. And the Bible tells us that he's sweating blood. Now, we can talk about the scientific reasons for that. But it only happens when you're highly stressed. I've never been highly stressed enough to sweat blood. But what that tells me is that Jesus understands your anxiety. He understands your stress. He understands what you're walking through. He empathizes with you. 
Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe somebody in your life has left you. You're walking through that right now. Go back to that same time period. Jesus is in the garden and where are his friends? His friends are off to the side and they're just sleeping. Like, no big deal. Jesus is over here sweating blood. No big deal. Or put, when he's up on the cross, Jesus looks out and the only people there is his mother and a few ladies and then one of the disciples. Like, where's the other guys? These guys that he spent years with, building into, like giving them hope, giving them life, showing them his mir- miracles and all, all his power and all of his stuff, and they're gone. If you feel abandoned, he empathizes with you. He knows that feeling. Or maybe you have a crazy family. I mean, some of you, I, I've talked to you after your Thanksgiving breaks, and man, some of you all got some crazy families. I mean, but we all do, right? I mean, we all have at least one crazy person in our family. I, in fact, raise your hand if you got at least one crazy person in your family. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look around. Look around. If somebody's not holding their hand, just give them a little smile. Because <laughs> everybody has a crazy family member. And it might just be you. <laughs> Jesus' family was crazy. Like some of them didn't even get to a place of believing and following until after his resurrection. Like he shows all these miracles and they're like, so what? Stop doing all this stuff. Come back home. Jesus can empathize where you are, what you're going through, what you're dealing with. And I love this, this final passage. We'll close with this. It's that same passage, but it's verse 16, the last verse there. It says, let us then, because Jesus is our great high priest, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Since then, we have this great high priest that empathizes with everything that you're walking through. Since then, you can understand that God doesn't just see you, but he knows, he feels it, he's experienced it. Since then, May we boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence that our God is saying, come. What do you need today? Do you need peace? Come to the throne of grace. Do you need forgiveness? Come to the throne of grace. Do you need hope? Come to the throne of grace. I know this is a hard season for some of us. I could just... I can tell you all the conversations I've been in just in the last week. And a father who is struggling with connecting with his kids. Another guy I talked to that's like, man, I'm, I'm not a good husband. And the guilt and the shame that those guys are feeling over that. A friend of mine whose sister just killed herself and what he's walking through. Here's what I know, that our great God, our faithful God, our loving God is saying, come to me. You no longer have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through some saint. You don't have to go through a pastor. You're welcome to boldly approach the throne of grace and find whatever you need, whatever help you need in this time, may he give to you as we approach him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and God, I thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. 
Father, I thank you that we can boldly approach the throne of grace because you are our great high priest. You have made a way. But God, we can't first come boldly approach that throne of grace without first receiving what you've done for us, Jesus. That you were that perfect sacrifice. That you gave yourself to satisfy the justice and the mercy of God. And so before we could ever approach your throne of grace, we've got to first recognize our own sin, that none of us are perfect. None of us measure up to the perfect standard of God. And then we've got to invite you into our lives. We've got to say, okay, God, be king of my life. And so my prayer is that right now, some of us would just get real honest with where we are. If you can say, you know what, I, I am in a place where And I can't say that Jesus is my high priest or that he's my king, or he's my savior. Maybe you've never given your life over to him. Maybe you've, you've come to church, you've done the church thing. Maybe you're a really good person and maybe even your life is going really well right now. Here's what I know, sin will pollute it. Sin will always create destruction. But Jesus made a way. Jesus made a way. So if you've never accepted Christ, you might have some questions. You'll probably still have some, some doubts, and that's okay. Would you be willing to take a step of faith today? To step over that line of faith today and say, okay, I mean, I can recognize I'm a sinner. And I'm going to trust that Jesus paid the price for me for once and for all. Or maybe you've accepted Christ, but if you're, if you're being real honest and looking at your life, man, you've been doing your own thing your own way. And it's just not working. And God's saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Receive your high priest. Receive what Christ has done for you. Come back to me. Come home. So if that's you with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say today, earnest man, I want to take a, a step over that line of faith today for the first time, or maybe I want to recommit my life to Christ today, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Just in this moment with every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise a hand right now. You're saying, I want to make that decision of faith. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for each one of these individuals. God, I thank you that you know their name, you know their story. For those who are watching online, you can just simply text the word on the screen, or the word follow to the number on the screen. And I just want you to know whether you're in here or you're online, that God sees you. I mean, the decision you're making is the greatest decision you could ever make. I'm not saying it's going to resolve all your circumstantial situations. What I am saying is that the God of the universe sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he died for you, and you are receiving that forgiveness. He's making you holy. And then, Father, for all of us, may we just take a moment right now, God, and ask ourselves, what do we need? What do we need from the King of Kings? So we enter this Christmas season as the busyness, challenges, the heartache for some of us, the joys for others. So we've got a lot of different things going on in this room, God, and online. Not just, what do we need right now? What do you need? Father, as we identify that, I pray that we would boldly approach 
with that confidence. The confidence you are the great high priest and you've made a way for us to come to your throne of mercy. So we come to you now. In Jesus' name.